0: show on pop culture and politics this is the michael medved show
1: and another great day in this greatest nation on god's green earth a great nation though with great challenges challenges of an economic nature challenges of looming recession uh challenges of renewed inflation and uh inflation on the gas pump at the gas pump which everybody feels and people have been paying attention to and uh and the question is what do you do about it uh that's a question that's asked in the most recent book by steve forbes it is called inflation what it is why it's bad and how to fix it Uh, Steve Forbes of course is the Forbes media chair and CEO and he's the editor-in-chief of Forbes magazine where his editorials appear as fact and comment Uh, Steve um, right now when you talk about how to fix it with a lot of people looking to make their final decision about what kind of Congress we're going to have Oh, if assuming that the Republicans do win at least control of the House, what could Republicans do right away to try to fix the inflation and the teetering economy that we have right now?
0: Well, as the book explains, there are two kinds of inflation, what you might call supply side inflation, when production gets uh, messed up, either because of a storm or a war or the lockdowns that we had with COVID. Uh, Those things work themselves out if governments let them work themselves out. And that's what Congress, the new Congress can concentrate on right away. Uh, Going after the Biden administration for blocking oil and gas exploration. Here we have a growing energy shortages in the world. Uh, Biden is, uh, I'm being blunt here, sucking up first to the Saudis, now to the Venezuelans. Uh, in a disgraceful fashion when we have plenty of gas and oil here at home. Uh, and so they can also put a break to the spending, start uh, not funding things like 80,000 new agents for the IRS and basic things like that. Uh, that would be very helpful. On the Federal Reserve side, the Fed is determined to put this economy into a recession. And uh, there I think that uh, the Congress can uh, start to hold hearings with uh, Chairman Powell focus on why he thinks only by a recession can you cure the inflation when we know from a past experience all you have to do is stabilize the value of the dollar which has been going up and down like a yo-yo and eventually that will work its way out but a recession is not necessary to cure this rise in prices
1: well you've just written something it's uh, uh, one of your most recent columns is that the rise of the dollar is actually destructive to the United States. When people hear the dollar is more valuable, it's more solid, it's uh, dominating the world currency, I think particularly in relation to the British pound, why is that bad news if the dollar is strong?
0: Uh, because it's, uh, it's been made strong for the wrong reasons it's uh, gotten strong because other currencies in the world are in worse shape. And what it means is uh, the Federal Reserve has gone from creating too many dollars to putting barriers in the way where you're going to have a what they call a liquidity shortage. That is, people are not going to be able to get cash. That's why you see commodity prices starting to edge down. Uh, that's why you see the gold price uh, taking the hit that it did. So... Uh, that that kind of turbulence you don't want as somebody once said you don't want inflation you don't want deflation you want inflation you want <laughs> stability and and unfortunately the federal reserve doesn't realize that but i think uh, there's going to be a big change coming assuming we don't get a serious crisis a real blow up in ukraine i think other events economic events are going to force a change into the federal reserve and this will sound strange today I think in uh, six months' time or so, you're going to see the central banks of uh, Britain, the European Union, Japan, China, the U.S. coming together, and they're going to try to stabilize the exchange rates between each country. The, European, the uh, yen is in a, not a free fall, but uh, falling down. The European uh, euro is uh, uh, tottering. We all know about the pound. Chinese yuan is uh, tottering and uh, i think uh, what they're going to end up doing even though they won't uh, could not see it today is try to create some stability and i think that'll help save us from the worst of a disaster that's coming you've got countries around the world that are over indebted and the worst thing you can do is have more inflation with them you've got a major you've got europe uh, going in a recession you've got japan uh, in bad shape you got the us uh, beginning to contract going into next year and so i think events are going to force positive changes rather than the destructive courses we're on today
1: and i assume you're assuming that uh, there will be no tactical nuclear weapons used by vladimir putin if he did use tactical nuclear weapons against some ukrainian target I assume it's a military target of some sort would that help to tank the world economy
0: yes because uh, everyone would be would be like the initial days of the lockdowns with COVID, uh, but much more serious in a sense and uh, everyone would just halt and say we're stopping everything where is this going to lead and the thing is using uh if he did use a weapon that would not change the military situation in ukraine his forces are in retreat and the thing that must be worrying him now is that his army may be collapsing on both fronts. And uh, so uh, what, what he would, would be trying to do by uh, threatening or actually setting off detonating that device is getting the Europeans to back off, getting the U.S. to back off. And uh, he would win uh, at the negotiating table or the, what he could not win on the battlefield. And uh, that's what this desperate man might do. One hopes that the military command, chain of command in Russia would uh, would not want this. It would be certainly would be the end of his regime. The world would not tolerate it. And one of the things I wish the Biden administration would be doing now is uh, emergency shipping to Ukraine long-range missiles, F-16s, which the Ukrainians can learn to fly very quickly, because they're not too different from the MiGs that they are accustomed to, and make it clear to Putin, before he does anything, that if anything happens, the Ukrainians are going to be firing missiles, not just in Ukraine, but in Russia itself, including the fleet that Russia has in the Black Sea. So it wouldn't be NATO going after uh, Putin, it would be Ukraine. But uh, I hope that the Biden administration, certainly the president's not capable of doing it, are already uh, doing scenarios. What if, what if, what do we do? And one of the things, Michael, they should be doing right away to show they're serious about foreign policy is ending the pretend negotiations they're having with Iran. Uh, We're using Russia to help negotiate with Iran since uh, the uh, Iranians won't sit directly in front of us. So bizarre. And how can we be negotiating with the regime, offering them access to $275 billion in the next 12 months uh, for, a, for a bad deal when they're killing women in the streets? And uh, it, it, it just, it, it just uh, defies reality. And uh, so if they, if they cut off those negotiations now, and say one reason they're cutting them off is because of what Putin has been saying about Ukraine, that might start to get the attention of uh, the Kremlin and the attention of the Chinese, who I think behind the scenes, the last thing they want is a nuclear device going off in Europe, because that'll have consequences all around the world.
1: It's sobering, but it's so important to examine. Uh, One of um, Steve's most recent columns, Biden's Iran Policy Defies Belief, and it actually emboldens Putin. Uh, You can read it. It's linked at our website at michaelmedved.com. Steve's new book, again, is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Uh, Talking about fixing things, uh, how are they doing uh, working together? That's Biden and DeSantis, the odd couple. We'll get to that and more on The Medved Show. Michael Medved Show, I think it is a, uh, a good thing, clearly a, a very good thing, when uh, you can have government officials working together at a time of crisis. And uh, what has been surprising here is, uh, and I think it, it leads me to believe that, uh, uh, yes, uh, as Joe Biden has said, and he apparently told Al Sharpton, Right now, he's planning to run for re-election. Uh, do I think that's a good idea for the country? No, I, I, I do think it would be, we would be better off if he would, after the midterm elections, uh, declare that he is planning to retire after one term, but he's not. And the fact that he uh, made such a point of working jointly with uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida which bore the brunt of Hurricane Ian and the terrible, terrible devastation that many people experienced. The fact that he was working with DeSantis is an indication that he is serious about running for re-election, and even more, it's uh, an indication that DeSantis is uh, serious about striking the American people as someone of presidential stature. Because uh, someone of presidential stature is capable of actually working with a president from the opposition. Uh, This is uh, DeSantis talking about the cooperation they have received from Biden's team uh, right before he introduces the president. This is clip 12. One of the things that you're seeing in this
0: response, we are cutting through the bureaucracy. We are cutting through the red tape. uh, And that's from local government, state government, all the way up uh, to the president. So we appreciate uh, the the team effort. Uh, So I'm just thankful that everyone's banded together. We've got a lot of work to do here. But I'll tell you, the spirit of the people of this state in southwest Florida has been phenomenal. You only get there if it's a team effort. So, Mr. President, welcome to Florida. We appreciate uh, working together across various levels of government.
1: And the floor is yours. And then uh, Biden takes the podium and uh, returns the graciousness uh, that uh, DeSantis set up. And good for him. This is uh, clip 13.
0: We're here today with Governor DeSantis and Senator Rubio and Senator Scott and Congressman Donald. You know, uh, today we have one job
2: and only one job, and that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need to fully, thoroughly recover. And the cooperation began before the storm hit. Number one priority was saving lives. At the request of the governor, I signed an emergency declaration Let's see if this thing works. This one working. I signed an emergency declaration of preposition federal assets, including food and water and generators, not only in Florida but in other states. So be ready if the worst happened and it happened.
1: Okay, And then um, President Biden was asked a question by a reporter, and he didn't miss an opportunity. Uh, and actually, it's kind of amazing. Uh, this is clip 14. Listen. Mr.
2: what do state local and federal officials need to do differently to prevent future loss of life? What the governor's done is pretty remarkable.
1: The so
0: governor. far. I mean, this is like what, he's, what he's done.
1: Okay. Uh, basically, what the governor has done is pretty remarkable. Uh, that from uh, President Biden. Uh, this is um, um, a good indication of uh, the possibility, real possibility, to actually work together. Uh, Not such a (laughs) a reassuring uh, observation was made by a a sheriff, uh, Grady Judd, of Polk County, Florida. And he talked uh, about actually coping with looters in your home. Uh, Clip 10.
0: Even when part of their
1: home may be torn
0: away and these looters, that's unacceptable. People have a right to be safe in their homes.
2: They have a right for their property to be safe even when part of their home may be torn away and these looters, that's unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. I would highly suggest that if a looter breaks into your home, comes into your home while you're there to steal stuff, that you take your gun and you shoot him. You shoot him so that he looks like grated cheese. Because you know what? That's one looter that won't break into anyone else's home and take advantage of them.
1: Okay, um, I'm not sure that uh, uh, this represents the highest levels of professionalism in law enforcement, but it's common sense. And I would imagine that there are a lot of Floridians who uh, would absolutely agree with uh, taking matters into their own hands in uh, in this particular situation. Uh, speaking of uh, matters in the hands of others, there's a very prominent Democrat, a member of the squad, really. She's Representative Corey Bush of Missouri. She's a, for- a former nurse. And uh, she describes uh, her experience Getting an abortion for herself when she was 19 years old, and she was on the firing line, and said this. Uh, clip one. I
3: got into the last room. I I was helped up onto the table by the nurse, and I laid there, and I started to think. Well, one, I didn't tell the father that that was about to happen. Um, I and I just I just felt like I needed more time. So I said, no, you know what, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And the nurse just, you know, wouldn't listen to me. And I said, no, I'm not ready. And as I'm saying no, they continued to pull the instruments and, you know, get everything ready. And and it was just like, no, calm down. You know, no, you're going to be OK. So you were telling them that I'm, you didn't want to move forward. Yes. And they were ignoring you. They were, oh, they absolutely ignored me, um, even to the point of, you know, like calm down, as if I was the problem, and so I didn't really know. Like I, I didn't understand at that point where, uh, like, where I had a voice, like mm-hmm. who listens to me. And so I remember l- laying there, looking to see um, if there was someone else in the room that would that would listen to me. And the they ended up putting during this time they put the instrument inside me and started the instrument. So it was, and I'm saying no, but it was too late because you can stop once it started. Uh,
1: Okay. Uh, uh, Even for the most pro choice people, uh, doesn't this indicate why it is that I think that most Americans are moderates on abortion? Uh, They most Americans and all the polls show this the overwhelming majority believe that Abortion should be permitted under certain limited circumstances and limited mostly by doing it very early in pregnancy But you could also add there should certainly be a requirement to Allow women to change their mind at the last minute this strangely was a main plot point in a true movie story the film by kirk cameron which we talked to him about it's called life mark and it's about a, a child who lived and grew up and became the author of the film because his mother changed her mind at the last moment we will be right back on the medvet Show.
0: of the Michael Medved show are brought to you in part by the Discovery Institute.
1: And on the Michael Medved show, it is always a pleasure and uh, an enlightening experience to speak to Steve Meyer, who is the head of the Center for Science and Culture in the Discovery Institute based here in Seattle. And uh, speaking of discoveries, uh, there have been major discoveries by the james webb telescope which are causing scientists to rethink the origins of the cosmos and i i understand that for religious believers there's there's some sense that the world was created for people who question the idea of a created universe you got big questions about where it comes from. And uh, now, after a consensus of many years, I find out by reading Steve uh, Meyer's new piece. It's published in the Daily Wire. It's about the scientists rethinking galaxy formation and basically the origins of the universe. Uh, Steve, what exactly is going on?
2: Well, thanks for having me on. I know we talked about this before, but there's so many interesting developments. It's great to be back to discuss it again. Um, there was an article in a a, a British journal um, for arts and uh, humanities by a um, kind of independent physics researcher named Eric Lerner. And Lerner uh, reported that there were some discoveries that he said were uh, challenging the Big Bang and showing that it never happened. In fact, he wrote a book. He, he's been a skeptic about the Big Bang since 1991. Um, the, the story about this caught on like wildfire in the, in the blogosphere and in the social media and in, to some extent even in the mainstream press. I'm getting asked about it everywhere I go. The, the short story is that what has been discovered by the James Webb Telescope does not challenge the Big Bang Theory, but it might challenge some of our ideas about how galaxies form. But Lerner presented this to the wider press as if it were the the, the discoveries that the James Webb Telescope made about um, the number of galaxies that were present very early in the history of the universe. He presented that evidence as if it were a challenge to the Big Bang Theory, and so there's been because the Big Bang Theory is so foundational to our understanding of cosmology and where the universe came from and it does seem to have very clear um, theistic implications. Um, There's been a huge amount of attention around this one rather obscure article from a rather obscure independent researcher.
1: Okay, let's just clarify so that everybody understands. The essential idea of the Big Bang Theory is not that there was an actual sound or or even what you would right. call uh, an explosion. uh it's basically that the universe, as we know it, started off in a, in a very small amount of matter and uh, then grew over the course of billions of years from that small beginning. Is that uh, basically yeah, exactly. least... it's
2: the idea actually even even more radically it affirms that the universe uh, began a finite time ago, the, ma- the material universe of matter, space, time, and energy, as best we can tell, had a beginning a finite time ago. Now, a very long time ago, probably 13.8 billion years is the accepted date, but that it, it began, uh, uh, when, when the universe began, time and space began with it. And then has and the universe has since expanded outward in a roughly spherically symmetric way like you could envision a balloon being blown up Um, and so this the the idea that the universe had a beginning has really uh, troubled and perplexed many scientists because if you want to think about the origin of matter itself it becomes very difficult to give a materialistic explanation for the origin of matter because before there was matter there was no matter to do the causing so you have this puzzle where you can really only go back so far in providing a physical or materialistic cause and that has suggested um, a kind of convergence with the, the classical theistic or even biblical account of things after all the first words of the Bible are in the beginning the, there's the affirmation that there was a beginning so this has been one of those scientific discoveries which against all expectations coming out of the 19th century has actually confirmed uh, a, a broadly theistic view of things not a materialistic view of things if thinking, we're talking as far as worldviews but rather a more theistic view where the best explanation for the origin of the universe would seem to require something like uh, some entity that transcends space and time and which is itself not material.
1: Okay, I think one of the questions that there are people out there who would want to ask would be uh, if you have a theory that says that before the Big Bang, before the creation of uh, matter and time and the universe, there was nothing. Uh, Even in the biblical account, it it says in the book of Genesis, there was uh, tohu vavohu, the earth was formless and void. And uh, how do you prove that nothing existed if nothing existed?
2: Well, the the, the, uh, implication of a beginning flows from three separate lines of evidence at least the first is that the universe in the present day is expanding outward in all directions and we know about this from the light coming from the distant galaxies and this will get us into the discussion of what the james webb is is detecting the light coming from very distant galaxies is being stretched out and the way astronomers detect that is they realize that the the the, the uh, wavelengths of the light are longer than they should otherwise be if those distant galaxies were stationary in relation to us if a, a train whistle recedes from us the pitch of the sound will drop and that's because the sound waves are being stretched out well light does a similar thing and it, if it's stretched towards the red end of the visible light spectrum where red, li- red light is long wavelength and violet is shorter then the scientists are able to detect upon analysis the, the movement away of the galaxies. But in light of that evidence, in light of Einstein's theory of general relativity, which suggests that space and time are connected, suggests that the universe, it, it's not just that the light or the galaxies are moving away in, into a static um, space, but rather space is expanding and causing that expansion as it goes. And so you have this idea of the a, of a universe expanding. Now, if you back that up in your mind's eye, at any point in the, in the past, as you go progressively back further and further, the, the matter of the universe would get closer and closer and closer together until finally it would converge on a point marking the beginning of the expansion and arguably the beginning of the universe, and arguably the beginning of the universe because you can't back extrapolate any further than that. Now, there's a parallel development in theoretical physics that uh, is a consequence also of Einstein's theory of general relativity. And this was worked out in the 1960s by Stephen Hawking. And that is something called the singularity theorem. And it's the idea that as the universe is, uh, it's the idea that in the forward direction of the time, the universe is expanding and the matter is getting more and more diffuse. But in the reverse direction, the matter would become more and more concentrated. Now, according to Einstein's theory of general relativity, Massive bodies actually curve the fabric of space. And so as you go further back in time, the curvature of space gets tighter and tighter and tighter until you finally reach a limiting case where the curvature of space goes to uh, an infinite value, which corresponds to zero spatial volume. And that's the singularity, the beginning point. There's a third line of evidence or a third proof from physics uh, based on special relativity that also affirms a beginning. So you have this very strange convergence of multiple lines of evidence pointing to the fact of the beginning to the universe, which was completely unexpected in the late 19th century. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's been a very troubling and disturbing thing for many physicists. Einstein didn't like it. It took him a long time to come around to it. Sir Arthur Eddington said that he found the idea of a, a, the Big Bang preposterous. It leaves him cold, he said, a uh, great British astrophysicist. But people have come oh, okay. around to it because the evidence supports
1: it. But what does the evidence mean in practical terms? Uh, yes, philosophically, it's very important. But uh, how does this increase our scientific understanding of the world around us? Uh, with new revelations from the uh, James Webb Space Telescope, uh, Steve Meyer will be. Do- theory uh, affirms that the universe is constantly expanding and your minds are constantly expanding when you're in conversation with Steve Meyer. Uh, Steve, uh, Dr. Meyer, received his PhD in the philosophy of science from the University of Cambridge. He's a former geophysicist and college professor who is director of the uh, Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute. His uh, best-selling books include Darwin's Doubt, The Explosive Origin of Animal Life and the Case for Intelligent Design, and uh, most recently, The uh, God Hypothesis, The Return of the God Hypothesis, uh, which has been uh, a best-seller and a mind expander as well. Uh, Speaking of expanding, uh, we, um, we should let people know that coming up on November 9th, which is just, what is it, it's two days from a month from now. Uh, There's a remarkable event occurring right here in Seattle, an exclusive national summit on the converging technologies, remaking the world as we know it, from artificial intelligence to 5G and Wi-Fi 6, from tokenized time to blockchain, From cloud computing to the quantum revolution, from the spatial web to the efflorescence of spaceflight, the future is meeting right here in Seattle and at COSM. Uh, The mission of the conference is to stimulate debate and deliberation among industry leaders on the Unities animating these apparently divergent technology areas. It's going to be held at the Bellevue Hyatt November 9th, that weekend and the summit illuminates the synergy between Seattle and the world and provides a scene of civilized conversation and exchange. And uh, Steve, I assume you're going to be there.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and of course, it's headlined by our own George Gilder, who's uh, written so many important books about not only economics, uh, but also also innovation in the technology se- sector, which is, in his view, the driver of economic growth.
1: Without any doubt, Time magazine uh, just had a a little piece about the James Webb telescope making its first significant scientific discovery, they say. First comes the art, then comes the science, they write, just over a week after NASA dazzled the world with the first clutch of images from the James Webb Space Telescope. Astronomers working with one of the pictures believe they found the oldest galaxy ever imagined. Uh, A galaxy dating back 13.5 billion years. Or just 300 million years after the Big Bang. Uh, That as reported by Space.com and others. Uh, What does it mean to be able to glimpse a a galaxy from 13 and a half billion years ago.
2: Yeah, this is a really exciting thing about the technology that NASA has developed here and also uh, our understanding of this expanding universe. If you think about trying to look at something very, very, very far away, you have to realize you're looking out into the night sky, the light coming from that object is going to take time to get to you. So if something is um, billions and billions and billions of light years away it's going to be billions and billions of you uh, you're going to be getting a, a look at it you're going to be seeing it as it looked billions and billions of years ago this is called look back time so what the the, the James Webb um, did was it developed is largely based on the idea of the expanding universe and the Big Bang Theory it realized that if our universe is expanding outward in the forward direction of time then the galaxies that are Um, very far away from us are going to be sending us light that is stretched out, red-shifted. But it's going to be stretched out so much because the light has had so long to travel since those galaxies formed until before it gets to us that the light is going to be—and the universe would have been expanding so much during that time that the light will be uber-red-shifted. It will be stretched out of the visible range of red to violet and into the invisible infrared range of light. Now, detecting that light turns out to be technically very difficult because if we put a, a, a telescope up even into space, the, the warmth or the heat from that telescope is going to emit infrared radiation, which will which will interfere with the ability to detect the, the radiation that, that NASA wanted to to, uh, to to collect. And so what the NASA engineers had to do was super cool the telescope, down to just a few degrees, especially the, the most important components, down to just a few degrees above absolute zero. And then that eliminated the, the potential um, uh, interfering radiation coming from the, the instrument itself. Now, what, what's happened is that they have actually been able, in looking very, very far back in time and very, very far away, to detect galaxies in their infancy, just a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. And that's the that's the the that's the exciting thing. They've been able to image galaxies that old. The, the surprising thing was that there were more of them than they expected. And that's why this this uh, Eric Lerner, the independent physics researcher, said, "Oh, this is this is upsetting all of our ideas about the Big Bang." But it wasn't. It, it it possibly upset some ideas about how long it takes galaxies to form. But the very fact that we were able to image galaxies that old meant that what we were getting was very. Highly redshifted light, uber redshifted light that was very stretched out because the, the tel- telescope was designed to detect light coming in, or, or electromagnetic radiation coming in the infrared range. The very fact that they were able to image galaxies from radiation of that very long wavelength kind shows that we were getting exactly the kind of radiation we should expect to get if the Big Bang Theory and the expanding universe were true. So the, the very fact that we're talking about these galaxies that old is a confirmation of the expanding universe and with it the Big Bang Theory based on it. So um, the, the reports of the demise of the Big Bang Theory have been greatly exaggerated, but there are some puzzles and they have to do with galaxy formation. And of course, there's also there's just the excitement of being able to see a galaxy in the very infancy of the universe
1: and when you talk about the very infancy of the universe we're not talking about uh uh, years of a human infancy which would be we're we're talking about uh, 300 million million years years. just a
2: a very young little galaxy but
1: (laughs) right okay Uh, in in terms of all of this there's such a deep public fascination and and it goes to i think people's spiritual beliefs their whole Belief in the nature of matter and and uh, the universe and reality, Uh, the the distance of some of these galaxies uh, probably mean that if if life existed on them at any time, that the ability to communicate over the course of literally billions of light years uh, is probably non-existent. Right.
2: Well, it's hard to get your mind around that problem. Um, Yeah, I'd probably say so. I mean, one of the things to keep in mind with this is that even 100 years ago, in 1920 at the Smithsonian, they had what was then called the Great Debate. And it was a debate between astronomers who thought that our Milky Way galaxy was the only galaxy and that there might be other galaxies beyond uh, in what were then thought to be nebular structures some people thought they were clouds of gas around individual stars well those nebular structures themselves turned out to be galaxies Mm -hmm. and in the in the ensuing 100 years we've learned that there's not just one or two other galaxies beyond the milky way but we live in a vast universe that is it contains at least 200 billion, and the more recent estimates are probably about 2 trillion galaxies. Now, galaxies contain multiple star systems and solar systems. I mean, it's just an absolutely immense universe. So when you go out and look at the night sky and you see a point of light, it might be a separate star, but it might be a galaxy. And um, and that there there are hundreds of billions of them is <laughs> just uh, really, literally mind-blowing to, to realize that we're in this ever-expanding universe that is so vast and yet here we are on this planetary system with a beautiful planet with lots of water just the right distance from a host star just the right axial tilt everything finely tuned to allow for life it's uh, quite an extraordinary ride for on on planet Earth.
1: Well again in terms of people figuring out some of this immensity uh, this does relate directly to what you write about in the return of the God hypothesis
0: Well,
2: absolutely. In fact, I I focus on three key discoveries of the last 100 years. The first is the one we've been talking about, the universe had a beginning. That was unexpected. It challenged uh, philosophical materialism. It suggested that the need for a transcendent cause of some kind to bring the physical universe into existence, some cause that was not bound by matter, but also that the universe has been finely tuned for life from the beginning and that life contains Digital information that points to some sort of master programmer. So, those three discoveries, I think, are bringing back a theistic view of the natural sciences, what I call the return of the God hypothesis.
1: Fascinating material uh, posted at our website, uh, the most recent piece in the Daily Wire, and more from Steve Meyer, who uh, is an, an ornament and a stimulant in this uh, greatest nation on God's green earth.